Good morning, Christ Central. Uh, my name is Bobby, and I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, today, um, we will be continuing in this two-part series that we began a couple weeks ago, Broken Cisterns and Living Water. So this is the second part. The text today will actually come from John chapter 4, verse 3 through 29, which I believe really captures what God was talking about in the Old Testament in the New Testament so that we can identify our own lives as we study it. So John chapter 4, verse 3. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour, the hottest time of the day. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you living water. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying that you have no husband, for you have had five Husbands, And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. In verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, he who, called, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with the woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days, and many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of God. Let's pray. Lord God, would you have mercy upon me, a sinner who has received this 
unending, all-consuming love. And for everyone who comes to this room with a burden that is unspeakable in their own personal lives, entangled in their own idolatry, every single one of us is in need of this mercy and grace. So would you graciously sit with us and whisper in our hearts and overflow our hearts with your love. We thank you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So today we will look at this text using these three points. The first, forsaking the living water and focusing on what the word forsaking uh, entails in the Bible. And number two, drinking the living water. And it's a case study of the Samaritan woman that hopefully helps us identify us and our journey with God. And three, what now? Knowing this living water that overflows from our hearts, how do we then live our lives? And so uh, I'm going to first do a review of last week real quick and because it is a second part that we're going to look at. And so if uh, you haven't looked at it, uh, feel free to go check it out after this. Um, there will be a video. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 11 through 13, it reads this way. Has a nation changed its gods, even though they are no gods? But my people have changed their glory for that which does not profit. Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked, be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils, and this continues today with us They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So last time we addressed that first aspect of how broken cisterns are things that we build up, and these are the things we find our worth in, our joy in. This is the reason why when you talk to someone, you talk about what college you went to for no reason at all. I went to this school. Out of nowhere, your job, you drop that just because your worth and your joy is tied into your house, what degree you have, who you know. We do this all the time. And so God addresses it. Are you going to live for the broken cisterns or are you going to drink of the living water or keep forsaking it? And so the summary of the first part is this. Number one, you and I, the Bible From the beginning till the end, God addresses us in a relational voice. He talks about everything with him and us in a way that is between lovers. He doesn't talk about it in the way that he is God, Lord, King, reigning over as the main way to address us. He does that and he is, but he addresses it always with affection and a love that you have forsaken and he wants you back. He will chase you down and he will pursue your heart. We were meant for a great love. Not some love that passes away in time, but will last throughout eternity. It is unrelenting. Number two, because we were designed for this kind of all-consuming love, if we reject God's lordship as Adam and Eve did, and we do now, we will declare ourselves God and Lord over our own lives. That means we make the choices that we think will make us happy. So then, when we take control, we surrender ourselves to created things. Gifts that God gives to us, houses, marriage, children, jobs, boyfriend, girlfriend, 
Everything that you love in this life is a gift that God gives to us, but instead of enjoying them for what it is, we elevate it to the ultimate level. Our worth and joy tied into those things, and they become idols. And then God needs to address that in our lives. Because if he doesn't, it will ruin us with a lifetime of unmet expectations. Anything you place that ultimate satisfaction and joy in, you will be disappointed and you will always push whatever it is to meet that emptiness you feel. Third, knowing this inevitable heart tendency for you to elevate created things to ultimate things, what now? How do we address that? And our conclusion was that we have to remember that the conclusion of last week's sermon cannot be some guilt-driven, try-harder, do-more-at-church mentality on our end. We're going to love God more and get rid of things so that we don't love it as much. It cannot be that. It has to be at the heart that we will continue to collect idols in our lives and continue to be adulterous in our hearts, but our God will be faithful to his unfaithful bride. He will pursue you when you are in the arms of another lover. That is the message of the gospel. That is the love that will transform you. That will empower you to let go of idols. And so much like a person who is consumed by an affair, the callousness that they have toward their spouse will increase. When we take lovers into our lives and we are consumed by those things, the person that we are married to becomes somebody that we push away. Whether it's the guilt, the shame, giving our heart away to another, we begin to push them away. So God wants to address it so that your heart is no longer callous. And so what we're going to talk about today is the second thing that hardens our heart. Uh, Broken cisterns do that, but also what blinds us and what hardens our heart is to forsake God, our living water. And so what does it mean for us to forsake God, our living water? The first part, super easy. God tells you what living water is. He says, it's me. I am all of it. Everything that gives you joy, life, your worth, it's me. You don't have to ask. You don't have to search. You don't have to read everything you know to figure out what it is. I'm telling you, it's me. I created you for myself. And I am your living water. And so then we have to take a deep dive into what forsaking God is forsaking him in our life. And so the Hebrew word is azbu. I thought it was funny when I read it. Azbu is most commonly translated about 50% of the time as forsaken. Anytime you find it in the Old Testament, forsaken, this is the word, azbu, that he uses in Jeremiah 2. But other words are really helpful for us in figuring this out. Other words used in the Old Testament in the English Bible translated is to leave behind, to let go, to give up, and to abandon. 
So the definition includes this idea of leaving behind, letting go, and abandoning that which you were called to love and to give yourself over to. So one of the hardest things that I hear during my counseling sessions with couples, and sometimes these things go hours, like I think my last one, four hours straight, we were talking through things, and one of the hardest things to hear is for the people who couldn't imagine living life without this other person sitting next to them, that they're willing to leave their families and publicly commit to this person for the rest of their lives. Like right now, we have over 12 people signed up for our premarital class. Do you know how fun it is to be part of that class? When I sit with these couples and they're sitting there, all they're thinking about, they have like a twinkle in their eyes. Oftentimes, you know, when I see 20, 30 married couples and I go, hey, how are you doing? And they look tired, right? But when I sit with these like almost getting ready to married couples, they have this twinkle in their eyes. And when I ask them what they love most about being with this person, they're like, I love, you know, staying up and I can't wait until we get married so I can stay up till 12, midnight, 1 a.m. and after watching Korean drama, eat ramen together. And I'm like, oh, 20 years later, you're going to pay for that. Right? But they're like, but I want that. I want to eat that ramen. I want to go to 7-Eleven at 2 a.m. and get nachos. And they're sharing about all these amazing things that they're looking forward to. And I sit with them in delight and helping them navigate their marriage. But to have them come into the room and say, this person sitting next to me of whom I talked about that I delighted in is the person that now continuously hurts me. Every waking moment, they annoy me and they are so frustrating because I can no longer fight the same fight day after day after day. I can't tell them the same thing again and again and again. It's unresolvable cycle of the same tired arguments. They're so defensive. I feel so unheard, unseen, unloved. And most of all, I feel unlovable with them. It's the moment when they say the words that they can't ever take back. I'm done. Let's end our relationship. Let's end us. Let's throw away everything we've built years and decades because I don't want any part of this anymore. It feels like death to hear those words because it's not like that, that song that, you know, everyone listens to. It's like, say something or I'm giving up on you. At least those words mean that you are devastated and broken, but you're pleading with the other person to say something before you say that word which ends it all. But it's to hear the words, I've let go. To forsake, as we read in this text, is to let go, to abandon, to give up. Because at least when you're fighting, 
there's something that you're fighting for, but apathy is the death to a relationship. Forsaking here is a relational term that means you're finding the other person not worth fighting for, not worth trying for, not worth committing yourself, and you want to walk away to find relief. God needs and wants us to take ownership of our choice to walk away from the love that we were created for, to run to other lovers. Because until you own the choice, you can't own or partake of the cost and the love it takes to bring you home. You know, out of the 12... 215 uses of this word to forsake, to leave, to abandon. There are two main ways in the Hebrew word used throughout the Old Testament. The first, it's used in light of God's people. God's people, the chosen bride of God, repeatedly chooses to forsake him after he goes out of his way to rescue them, to love them to take away their pains and sorrows. 1 Samuel chapter 8 clearly highlights this. This is literally one passage out of hundreds. Verse 8, according to all the deeds that they have done, from the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, that enslavement, that brokenness, they cried out for deliverance, even to this day, forsaking me, and serving other gods, lovers, so they are also doing to you. The word study affirms over and over the reasons why God has every right to divorce his unfaithful bride, to let her go and do and allow her to live in the brokenness of her infidelity. Then the other primary usage in the Bible, the good news for us, is how God, fully knowing the betrayal of his unfaithful bride, he will not forsake his wayward bride. Deuteronomy chapter 31, 6 is one of many. Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them, for it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Whereas in for us, it's always abandoning God and leaving God and running to other lovers. With God is always, I am with you. Don't be afraid. He will not leave you nor forsake you. We who deserve to be rejected, incessantly turning to our lovers in betrayal and infidelity, we are not forsaken. So the word forsaken here carries two biblical truths. When you hear the word, do not forsake the living water, what should hit you again and again as you think about the context of the Old Testament is that we reject him who loves us, delivered us, gave everything to find us and pursue us. And the other is that he, knowing our rejection, and our lovers that we hold, that he will not forsake us. Our rejection, after seeing his love, and his love, after seeing our rejection, is at the heart of the gospel. This 
quote is jarring. Letting go of someone you love is hard. But holding on to someone who doesn't even feel the same is much harder. Marriage is hard enough when both people love one another and fight for one another through all the misunderstanding. But do you know how exhausting it is to pursue someone who lives in the arms of another lover? To hear the words, I love you, but I found another who meets my current needs better, implying I find you lacking. Imagine fighting every day through that level of humiliation and rejection daily, looking pitiful as you fight for a love that continues to reject you daily. Who among us could bear through such repeated betrayal and humiliation with apathy on their face? But he endured all that. He wrote an entire Bible, Old Testament, 215 occurrences of him being rejected daily and pursuing us knowing how we feel about him. Understanding this word forsaken transforms us because we forsake that which we need for things that will destroy and ruin our hearts. And he, being rejected, never ceases to pursue us because he knows what is best for us. Number two, drinking the living water It's a case study, and so we're looking at this text. So we look at one of the clearest pictures of somebody who literally reveals in our life Jeremiah chapter 2. We find Jesus choosing to enter into Samaria on a dangerous road. Most people went around because Samaria was so dangerous, especially for the Jewish people because they hated one another. And Jesus was exhausted, hungry, thirsty, and he went intentionally in the middle of the hottest time waiting for this woman because he knew that she needed him the most. And so Jesus asks her for water, knowing that she was the one who is in need of the living water. And so he prepares to show her the condition of her heart by asking a very simple yet profound question. Go call your husband and bring him. It seems innocuous, but Jesus knew what she was and where she was. She was at, Jesus was asking, where has taking control over your own life led you? Look around at your life. You think you're so brilliant and smart. You think you can do all things by your own power. Where has that led you with the people you love the most? A trail of broken relationships, one after another. 
continually pursuing with hope that this relationship will fix it, this will make a change, only to have misery that follows. But she didn't know where he was coming from, so she says the word, I don't have a husband, hoping that this interrogation or exposure will end a half-truth. But Jesus wasn't going to have it. Let's uncover everything today. And so he continues and he says, let's go further. Because he is the lover who has been sitting on the sidelines watching her take one lover after another. And he wanted her so much that he had to allow her to admit to all the lovers that she pursued. And he says, you're on number six. Six lovers that don't satisfy, five husbands, and one that you're now living with over and over. Broken cisterns that never satisfy. And the weight of every shameful word and look and gossip around her choices from her neighbors and town. But you know why she's blessed? Because Jesus waited for her. He pursued her. He absorbed her rejection and still engaged her heart because he needed to expose to the bottom level everything. Because as long as some parts were hidden, some shame or guilt is going to remain. She won't truly ever be free. You know why? Because you and I need to be fully seen so that we can be truly Free, nothing to hide. Before God, there is no need to pretend, no need to put your best foot forward. We are all unfaithful brides with many lovers, every single one of us in this room. He sees us fully, exposes all of our lovers, and then he says, I will be exhausted so you never have to be exhausted again for your search piling guilt and shame you carry, the forced isolation and loneliness you feel, even sitting in community because you're so busy hiding your brokenness. You see, this is the beauty of exposure in the love of God. It's not to increase shame like the rest of the world does, but it is to rid shame by showing us what this chase of other lovers has done to our soul. We're incredibly lacking, incredibly insecure, incredibly every day pursuing big things so that we can quiet the voice in our hearts that say that we're not enough. There is nothing that he doesn't know, and yet... Isn't it amazing that he doesn't pull away like everyone else when they find out your darkness? He wants you. He wants you more than ever when you are in exposure. Dr. Keller said this, if we are deeply moved by the sight of his love for us, it detaches our hearts from our other would-be saviors.
What happens to a woman who had been searching all her life for an all-consuming love and all the created things, hoping that she'll be happy and satisfied? What happens when she meets a love that fully sees her, warts and all, darkness and all, doubts and all, the worst parts, the worst parts of her and her infidelity and her chasing of her own lovers? When she encounters a love that fulfills her, sees her, empowers her, removes the shame, removes the guilt, removes the exhausting need to prove herself daily before the world. What does that all-consuming and healing do to a woman who's just tired and just exhausted? We don't have to guess. She, who had endless anxiety, so much so that she would avoid all people because she felt the guilt and the shame bombard her, runs toward the very people who destroyed her with their words and gossip and judgment and expectation. She runs toward all the people who told her that she is not worthy of love, that she is running from one to another and she is bankrupt and she is useless and she deserves nothing. She courageously faces them now because she was so set free from the enslavement of the incessant idolatry that made her live for the approval of others. You and I put up a front daily. Whether it's religious, whether it's work, whether it is what we wear, what we look like, who we date, we put it up daily and it is exhausting because people will be hot and cold the next day and it is tiring to live for their approval. That every new marriage for her was to silence the incessant voice that keeps telling her you're not good enough, you're not lovable, and plainly you're just lacking. So all the social anxiety of going back to her town and being with those people. Why would a woman like that run toward the very people who made her life miserable? Because she met some strange Jewish rabbi who waited for her at the hottest time of the day. just for her because he is the only one who knows how exhausted she is from the search to find her worth and her joy. And he loves her and he sees her and she is so freed by this love 
that it begins to overflow, that she cannot but run towards people who she knows is just as broken as her, who could do nothing but destroy her. So her life is no longer protecting what she has built up because she doesn't want it anymore. The life that she and her control had built up was exhausting and killing her. And so she says, what do you want from me? I will go and run anywhere, even if it means running into a fire of people who destroyed me. And she told them about the one who saw all of her, her warts and all. And she shared how he met her in her brokenness. And how he made her feel like a beautiful bride that she knew that she was always meant to be. This courage and transformation can't come because you try to read the Bible more or show up to church more. This is his love and it has to consume you and it has to be all of you. Because it has to heal decades of gossip, self-righteousness, piety, and every wound that has destroyed your heart. And I'll finish with this story and the conclusion. If you look at this picture, it's a desert. And so once, a man got lost in this desert, and the water in his flask had run out about two days ago. He had no idea how he was going to survive. He was on his last legs. He knew that if he didn't get any water in him, he was going to die. And so he saw a small hut, and so he thought it was a mirage, but he was like, this is it. I have to go towards it. It has to be real, or I'm dead. So he dragged his tired body across the desert to the door, barely getting himself into the hut, And he looked, and it was unoccupied, but in the middle of it, there was a water hand pump. Can we keep the image up? Yeah, okay. And when he saw the water hand pump, he knew that there was some kind of pipe going down to the floor, maybe tapping into a source of water deep underground. And so he mustered the last energy he had, grabbed the pump, and he just started pumping. Nothing. Only dust. It was, and he was so heartbroken that he put in all that effort and nothing came out. And he laid down to die. Because that was it. Then the man noticed this bottle in the corner because he was laying down finally. And he saw the bottle, he ran towards the bottle. It was a bottle of water and he opened it. But then there was a note with the water and it said, use this water to start the pump. Don't forget to fill it up when you're done. And so he's holding an open bottle of water about to die And it says to pour the water into this nasty-looking water pump. 
he said to himself, what if this thing doesn't work? What if the pipe is broken all the way down? What if there's no water? The reservoir is dry. Like, why would I do that? And he struggled. Do I drink this and live for a little bit? Or do I pour this thing down? Hands trembling, he poured this water into this nasty-looking pump. He closed his eyes, he prayed, and then he just started pumping. Lo and behold, a gurgling sound starts coming from the pipes, and then water just started flowing out. He started bathing in it, drinking with it, pouring his body over it. He's just... Living it, so refreshing, so powerful, he's going to live. And after drinking his fill, feeling so much better, he found a pencil and a map of the region. And the map showed that he was still far from civilization, but at least now he had hope and the direction to go. He filled his flask, and then he filled the bottle, and he put the cork back in, left a note, and he took a pencil and wrote, believe me, it works. You and I have a choice to run from broken cistern to broken cistern, that which seemed palpable and which gives us relief for the moment. Or you can actually trust the Savior who died for you and said, I am the living water. Nothing in life will ever satisfy. There's a time when my older brother John he told me that he was going to walk away. He was doubting his faith because he had so many wounds from his old church. He wanted to serve, and they discouraged him. And I saw the pain in his eyes as he was pouring out his own money to help the children of his own church. But then he started showing up to our church. And Pastor Owen, for some reason, he said, he's a lot funnier than you right before I came up took a liking to him, and then invited him to join his journey group. In a state where I was unsure where he was going to end up, Pastor Owen took a chance and loved him. And then, Pastor, and then Elder Youngho, when he started his group, took him with him. Do you know how powerful it is for me to sit and to listen to him weep over the youth kids and his love and affection for our church. Because I was there when he wasn't sure about Christ anymore because of the wounds he had from his church. And ultimately, at the end of the day, from our father. You see, when God fills us with his love it overflows into the lives of other people. He changes the world one person at a time because that love is not containable in our own hearts. And it is so all-consuming that it changes the world. 
our hope and desire as the pastors and leaders and elders of this church is that you would know that love. We're not playing games. We're not here just as a system of religion. It is a person that loves you and is willing to go to hell for you. Let's pray. To every person in this room, there is no other love that will satisfy you. And you will always be disappointed in the church, in your parents, in your spouse, your friends, your work. You will always find everything lacking and then you will run into the arms of a lover. But he pleads with you. And he says, you were created for me. To know this love that helps you conquer all other false and broken loves in this world and failed promises. But we're all navigating this world without that love. We're going to get crushed So can we go before God? And can we say, Lord God, it's been a long, long time. But I want this love, all-consuming love from you. Lord God, we pray for so many people that are sitting in this room that have tried everything. But every broken cistern did not satisfy. And we have forsaken you, our living water, every day. But how amazing that you are not only with us, but you do not forsake us but you gave what was most precious to have us. And so, make that real for every one of us in this room. In Jesus' name.